All right, we're live. What's up, brothers? I'm on today with uh, MMA legend John Fitch. What's up, brother? Nothing much. It's yeah, Thursday is my off day with the kids, so I get a lot of stuff done around the house. Nice. Yeah, uh, some work stuff done. So, yeah, in the work mode. So we got a we got a sixty to ninety minute session. We're going to dive into here with John. I've um, I don't know. When was the last time we did something one on one? I think it was. We did that video when we were on before the train wreck. Yeah, the single mothers. <laughs> there was that one clip that we got out of that that blew up on my channel they, my editor turned it into a short and it got like two and a half million views in like a month it was ridiculous she had yeah that's that's a, an extremely good example of like solipsism solipsism 101 right can't see past your own nose even when you have a son yourself right she was arguing till she was blue in the face until you turn around on her son situation and she's like oh well okay Maybe there's a different set of rules when I have to consider that. Yeah. yeah uh, if you guys want to see that, that's on my channel. Just short, just sort by popularity and it, it'll come right up at the top. Um, before we get started, just a little housekeeping. I always try to grab this YouTube link and drop it. So if you're watching on like Twitter or Facebook or somewhere else, just do me a solid and click that. Come over to Facebook, hit the like button. Uh, just uh, helps out with the algorithms as you guys are piling in, getting your notifications. So. John, I have to tell you, and the audiences are watching, I have never been a big fan of um, UFC, MMA, even boxing. Like, I watched a few boxing rounds. Like, I watched the, uh, I mean, how many boxing fights have I watched? Maybe the Holyfield uh, Tyson fight, you know, where he got his ear bitten off sort of thing. That That's probably the extent, but I like to participate in it personally just as a, you know, just from the approach of at least being competent and having the skills. Plus, the cardio drills are some of the hardest, you know, you can do in any profession, I think, anyway. Cardio that comes along with fighting, yeah. Yeah. Um, how did you get into fighting? Like, how did you fall into? So, I, 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 you know, I'm 43 now, so I grew up in the age uh, of, you know, pro wrestling. You know, Hulk Hogan, Junkyard Dog, Mikhail Volkov, whatever, you know, mm -hmm. I those guys yeah because you were a wrestler first right yeah yeah i started wrestling in the fourth grade but like i i started getting into the the you know pro wrestling thing earlier and then when i started to, to actually wrestle in the fourth grade like i realized that it was fake and i stopped watching pro wrestling um but like i also it was a time you know when there was still plenty of free boxing and ali and stuff like that on on abc and mm. you know, wild world of sports things like that howard cosell so I watched a lot of boxing and stuff when I was younger, but my mom would never let me get involved in, in boxing. <clears throat> uh, I was able to get into wrestling because I had uh, some some relatives and friends who uh, friends of the family who were involved in where I was going, mm. and uh, that kind of smoothed things over with that. But yeah, um, I, I what was it like when you found out like the WWF was fake? Was that like finding out Santa Claus wasn't real? I had I cut the dicks off all my uh, low rubber wrestlers. <laughs> I was so like, this is fake. You guys are actors. I was done with it. Like, yeah, it wasn't like kind of upset. I was like, I was betrayed. It feels like. But I mean, like the weird thing is, is that the highest paid, I think, Hollywood actor is The Rock, and he got it. You know, yeah. like he got there by being a mm -hmm. wrestler. You know, an actor. Yeah, and I don't have you know, I don't have any problem with it. But as a child, it was to me, it was like it's devastating. You know, eh? I really respected these guys. They were tough guys. They were they were the best fighters out there. And then it was all fake. And then I was kind of like, you lied to me. Mm. So I've been a very skeptical person about a lot of stuff my whole life since then, I think. Got it. But yeah, um, 
but I always wanted to play professional sports. I thought football was my going to be my thing. And yeah. so, you know, wrestling was an outlet that I really enjoyed uh, that kept me in the weight room and kept me active in the off season for football. So it wasn't like my mindset to like continue wrestling, you know, down the road, you mm. know, three years later, still doing wrestling shit. <laughs> like, what did so, you want to be when you were growing up? Did you want to be a, a fighter or a wrestler? Football. Or? I wanted to play football. Football, okay. Yeah, I wanted to be a professional athlete. That was the biggest thing was professional athlete. But mm-hmm. football, it seemed like that was the easy way easy way in for mm-hmm. some reason. Uh, but, like, my senior year, I wasn't big enough, wasn't fast enough, wasn't having anybody call, uh, you know, to, for me to play at a D1 school. So I decided I might as well go and wrestle because I, yeah. I still love wrestling. <clears throat> and I thought, you know, it was better to walk onto a wrestling program and uh, that was D1 and, and uh, you know, be a letterman, be an All-American, uh, you know, be a national champion. Or I could walk onto the f- a football team in a D1 school and, and maybe play kickoff my senior year. Mm-hmm. And the competitive, the competitive side of me wanted to compete, so I, I decided to go with wrestling. And then how'd you get into like competitive fights where you got paid for your time? That was uh, a kind of accident. As I went to Purdue to wrestle, my assistant, one of my assistants was Tom Erickson, and he was currently fighting. He was fighting over in Japan. Tom was number like two on the Olympic ladder for freestyle wrestling at heavyweight for like 13 years under Bruce Baumgartner. It's a huge man. He's like 300 pounds, 315 walking around, you know, in decent shape. <clears throat> and uh, he just brought guys around me who were fighting, like Mark Coleman and, um, uh, man, Ian Freeman, those guys, uh, Gary Goodrich, those guys would come into town at Purdue and, and work with Tom a little bit. So I would get some working with these guys. And I think it was the combination of work with those guys and listening to their stories about life and how they were living and like they're going to, you know, stories about uh, hookers and Brazil and mafia people and Japan and just the stories were just uh, seemed a lot of fun. It seemed a lot more fun than if I was a teacher in Indiana, you mm-hmm. know, in a wrestling class. So that kind of got me interested in, you know, listening to the money that they were making. And that was the time they started putting more weight classes into the sport. And by the time I got to my senior year of wrestling and uh, at school, I was, you know, doing student teaching. And with the student teaching, I was like, this, this isn't for me. I don't want to, I don't want to teach these people's, you know, uh, curriculums. I don't want to be told what to do. So I decided, you know, I'll do the fight thing. And uh, along with the fight thing, you know, I can learn jujitsu and stuff and I get enough owning my own gym and then I don't have to listen to somebody else's curriculum or whatever mm-hmm. bullshit. So I followed the fight path with the idea that, you know, I can, I can get around teaching at schools and teach at my own school, you know, in that path. And then 2005 is when ultimate fighter came on, on TV and, and things just blew up. Yeah. Did you, did you see that coming? Like, did you see what Dana white built coming or was it just like a shock to everybody that was working? No, I knew it was going to be big. I knew it was going to be big. Because, I mean, like, wrestling was big, boxing was big. Nobody really done anything like that with an octagon and, like, you know, you kind of do whatever you want. Like, If you look back to history of prize fighting, like, mixed style fights have always been around, hundreds mm-hmm. of years old. They, they were able to um, corner a market and monopolize a market and turn it into, like, oh, we repackage this brand-new thing. 
did a very good job at that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the sport was already going on in Brazil. It was big in Japan. Like there was, you know, it's fighting, it's fighting, it's a popular thing. So I always knew it was going to be on somewhat level big, you know, um, but I had no idea that it was going to be eventually, you know, kind of monopolized the way it has, you know, when, when UFC around 2010, they ended up buying up all the other promotions, all the top talent, all the top belts. They, they end up sealing up 90% of the market in, in revenue and in uh, depth as far as fighters in each weight class. And um, again, guys, like I'm new to UFC fighting. It's not something that I have watched much of. I mean, I've watched some of John's fights, you know, prior to, this cast to kind of like catch up on it all. So I get a little bit of an idea, but what are the limitations when you're in like UFC or, you know, in the octagon type of arena? Like, is there things that you can't do? Or is it wide open? Uh, it's martial arts. You, um, it's very limited rule set. So you can, you can fight on the ground. There's takedowns, there's, there's kicks, there's elbows, there's knees. Uh, once you're on the ground, though, there's no there's no knees to the head on the ground. Um, there's well, on the ground an opponent. There's no there's no soccer kick. So if a guy's down on the ground, you can't kick him in the head. There is an organization, One FC, that was allowing that. Pride used to allow soccer kicks. I think I think they should bring soccer kicks and knees to the head back. Mm. Uh, it just changes the game a little bit more. But. Um, yeah, most strikings are allowed. No headbutts, no groin strikes. You're not allowed to poke people in the eyes or uh, or small joint manipulations aren't allowed. So mm. you're not going to get finger locks. Hands are extremely gloved up. You can do wrist locks, but you're never going to get one because there's gloves and wraps all around the wrist. So mm-hmm. it's usually elbows and shoulders if you're going more. Did you always feel like you were playing to win when you were fighting? I mean, you know, I was telling you before we launched that I, I watched the fight with you, you with GSP. And I mean, if you could define eye of the tiger, like, you know, kind of like a plane to win sort of mindset. I mean, you had the look on your face, you know, during that fight, even after you got like, you know, the first round was not a good round for you. Like you got your ass through a bad leg kick. Yeah. I ate a big right hand. And I think that that uh, right hand broke my orbital. Yeah. What does that mean when you say like it broke your orbital? orbital your orbital is a bone in your face oh okay so like i'm okay. pretty sure i punch broke a bone in my face okay okay so i mean like you were feeling it the rest of the fight and it, and it i was seeing double really I, I was probably because of the orbital break because it throws things off and swelling what's the what's the worst thing that's happened to you physically from fighting uh broken heart really <laughs> i say but i mean when uh Man, you know, losing to GSP was a one thing, but when I when I drew with BJ Penn, I kind of knew what that meant, and uh, it was like because of the way that the, they worked, the way their system works. Like I had, I, you know, I lost to GSP, and I won five more fights, and I was supposed to get a title shot, but I wasn't playing ball, and I wasn't being a good boy. Mm-hmm. So instead like, of giving me the title shot, they took it away, and they made me fight BJ, and. Um, yeah, with with me getting that draw, it was a chance for them to start pushing me aside and and never give me another title shot again. So that after that fight, I think yeah, I kind of my heart was kind of broken. <laughs> what do you mean by not not being like a good little boy? Um, well, because they're not a they're not a this, this throws people off. But MMA, yeah, the fights are real, but mm. it's not a sport. It does not function or operate as a sport. There, there are mechanics around a sport that happen 
um, where there's no restrictions around, you know, uh, elevation of sport. You know, you win, you get a ranking, you you move up. That's just the mm-hmm. way it is. Like nobody's outside presence can can take that away. Uh, in in what UFC does, it's a production. It's like WWE. Mm-hmm. They are the ones who give the rankings. They're the one who gives the belt. They're, they decide everything. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what your merit is within the sport of winning or losing. They, they just get to cast who goes where. So it's like a. Um... I mean, it's about the money. It's about getting eyeballs on the show and whatever they think is. But there's no leverage for the fighter because there's nowhere else to go. You're stuck in this never-ending contract usually, and you can't right. go to another promoter, and the promoters don't even compete with each other. Uh, in boxing, you would have the option of, of potentially you know, going to a different promoter, and then you'd still have the option to fight for a, a, mm. a sanctioned belt you know, because they have, they have um, sanctioning bodies that control the belts in boxing. Mm-hmm. So like the promoter doesn't control the belt. It's kind of like the NFL. The NFL is in charge of um, rankings and uh, matchups and the and the title, the trophy. But mm-hmm. like no one team is. Like the Dallas Cowboys, they don't get they don't control the belt. They don't control the the, the NFL title. They don't control whether or not. Oh, you know what? We're going to make more money with this team in the final, so we're just going to let our Cowboys play. Um. You said that you had a broken heart, you know, as a result of all that. Like, is it a broken heart in the same sort of way, like a girl broke your heart, or is it? In a way, kind of a worse, because it was, uh, um, it was like, you know, you're playing to win. You know, you're like, I the tiger. Like, you put everything of your life into this this out, outcome, you know, and that was the, the UFC title. Mm-hmm. And you feel them like, nope, you're just never going to get that shot again. We don't, we just don't like you. Mm-hmm. You start to, you know, that that's a heartbreak. Like, you, there's no way to get to where you want to be. I got the impression watching some of the videos that I came across on YouTube that you kind of had an acrimonious relationship with Dana White and the UFC. Can yeah, you talk about that? I always knew that it was not right. Like, think about it. Like, when GSP got his title shot with Magnus, he, he got on his knees and he begged. He begged the promoter to let him please have a title shot. Mm-hmm. What what sport have you ever heard of where the best player begs to, to play for the title? Mm-hmm. Does Tom Brady get on his knees and ask the, the NFL commissioner, can you please allow me to participate in this game for the, for the best team? Mm-hmm. No, he earns it. He earned it through winning and, and accomplishments. Mm-hmm. But that's not that's not how it works, and you can see that over and over and over again. Uh, even even with the you know the uh, the talks right now with John Jones wanting more money for his fight uh, to fight Nagao at heavyweight, mm. he has every right to ask for more. But he's making the mistake of asking for a dollar sign instead of a percentage. He needs to be asking for a cut of what the the revenue is, not oh I, I want eight million dollars. He should be asking for. Give me fifty five percent of the revenue. How much does a does a top ranked fighter make these days? Um, well, like the guy that has a title, you know, and then plus like any kind of sponsorships or endorsements if, if, from if the athletic guy, companies. If you win the belt and then you defend the belt, okay, so you have to two times. So if you mm. defend the belt, you get pay per view points. Once you get pay per view points, then then you you start making millions per fight, just about. Um. But these guys are making anywhere from one million to, I guess, eight million, 
is, is somewhere in the uh, in the pay with all 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 money disclosed, non disclosed bonus. That's like on an annual basis, or no, that would be for one for, fight. That's oh, very oh for one fight. That's very minimal for those guys that do that. Shit, you know you're okay. talking less than ten guys ever. Okay. Right, where where the uh, and and if you look at those numbers, you think it's a lot, but the um, the output that UFC is paying, they're paying like nineteen percent of the revenues out to the fighters. Okay. At most. Okay. Got and it. That, and that's just event revenues. That's not even the other half of the stuff they're doing with with uh, merchandising. And you fought up until your early forties, so. Is that typical, like for a lifespan for a fighter, or is that a little bit longer than what you'd want to go normally? Way longer. I for UFC, um, it's actually like less than a year for uh, average career. In, in how old were you when you started it? I started fighting at 25, 24. That's pretty long. Then I mean, that was that was over fifteen years, right? I fought eighteen years. Yeah, and I've seen Joe Rogan talk about how he didn't get into professional fighting because of, you know, watching a lot of guys with, like, damage to their body and their brain and, you know, like, permanent kind of shit. Like, is it is it really that that bad? Happens a lot. It's one of the reasons why I've uh, taken up a lot in fighting, you know, trying to organize fighters and uh, mixed martial arts fighters association. Like, we have gone, I've gone paid out of pocket to... Um, to the capital and uh, and and uh, <clears throat> gotten people to sign up for our bill to get the Aliyah expand, expanded to uh, all combat sport athletes, not just not just uh, boxers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know uh, the the class action lawsuit we've got going with the UFC too. Like all that stuff's kind of all motivated because I've seen guys you know give their heart and soul and then they're they're kind of brain damaged and they can't they can't remember shit now and they got bad hips and they. They've got nothing, and they can't even they can't even profit off of the fights that they had a long time ago. UFC still has people pay for their their fight pass, and can, you can still watch Mark Coleman fights. Mm. You know, like they still make money off of those fights. So, but the fighter doesn't get any of that. No. Wow. Um, let me grab a few of these super chats just so I don't lose track of them here. So we got uh, Chris said, "Wonder if John could talk a bit about the Reebok deal and how, if all, it screwed him and other fighters out of sponsorship money." What does that mean? Yeah, man. So fighters used to be able to pick up any sponsor they wanted to for a fight, kind of like a NASCAR. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you'd have you know logos all over. You'd have a, a backdrop banner behind this that would have logos on it too. So when they're being announced. You, you make a little side money. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the Reebok deal was the, the cherry on top because it, it started long before they got to the Reebok deal. So back in 2008, 2009, you know, anybody could sponsor you for a fight. You'd have to get approved. Uh, you know, it was no like alcohol, tobacco, or gambling was allowed, but like most of anything else. So mom and dad, mom and pop shop from your local t shirt printing place or hardware store, whatever, they could pay you three to five thousand dollars just to put a logo on your short because that's that's a cool thing to do. Uh so there it was you know easy to make anywhere from five to fifty grand on your shorts, just your shorts, especially if you were on a main of main card of UFC, because everybody saw that. <clears throat> After a while UFC uh started taxing sponsors though. Mm. So to sponsor a fighter, you had to pay the UFC fifty to one hundred thousand dollars first. So the sponsor would have to pay the UFC first to gain access to the fighters. 
Yes. Okay. So if you're a mom and pop shop who only has five to $25,000 budget a year on advertising, like you're not even capable of, of sponsoring fighters anymore. Hmm. So that wiped out a ton of uh, possible sponsors for a long time. And then once there was only about five to seven sponsors total that you could even call and get sponsorship with. Mm -hmm. Um, then they started pushing towards the Reebok stuff. And, the UFC started pushing towards. Yeah, and they're like, look at what a great job we're doing. We're getting you more sponsorship opportunities with this Reebok deal. Mm -hmm. But not, not people and people who weren't around long enough didn't know that they choked all the other sponsors off ahead of time. They, they got to the point where there was barely any sponsors. There's people like Condom Depot paying people 500 bucks to, to put a, con, a logo on your ass. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Like that was traditionally like five grand. Like if you're a main main card fight in UFC and you you're selling that real estate, that's five grand. So this company comes around and people are accepting it. Managers are accepting it for five hundred. It was, uh, yeah, it made it made things tough for a little while. Hmm. The Reebok deal made it worse. <laughs> Interesting. Because now the uh, the champions are only making I think forty to forty five thousand per fight with the deal. I think that's another you know, new Venom deal they have now. Instead of Reebok, they're using Venom. And I think that's, I think I saw that yesterday. It's something like the champions are like at 40, 40 to 45,000. I mean, like Chuck Liddell used to make that per patch, per logo. And that was, that was more than 10 years ago. Do they have, do they have the opportunity to earn sponsorship revenue on, on their social audience? Like if they promote a, a shoe they, or they some can, kind of athletic wear? They can, but if you look, they're, man, they're, uh, most of these guys' social, media is is awful Shit, they, like they don't really know how to promote themselves they don't know how to monetize it and and i think that's on purpose the ufc doesn't help them and doesn't do it for them because they don't want them to make money on their own like they want you to be dependent off off of their uh pay cycle that way they can leverage you more easily like they know when you're starving they know when you need the mm. fight that's when they come with the shittier deals okay we'll give you this fight but you got to sign this uh this extension on your um on your contract first for like nine fights. You'd think that that there would be an advantage to them showing fighters how to promote themselves on social platforms because when it brings more eyeballs to the fighters, it's going to bring more eyeballs to the actual event, right? If they like John they Fitch. Control. Yeah, I know, but if they like John Fitch on Instagram, you know, for example, and that and that audience is building and it's adding 25, 30, you know, 30,000 followers to the they account call. monthly. Brothers, Logan and Jake Paul are perfect, perfect examples. And that's, mm. that's I started a company actually because this is I see this opportunity and nobody's taking it. But the reason is because the promoters don't want to put the time and money and energy into it. They want you to do it yourself, but they don't really want you to be successful. Because if you're successful doing that, you could literally make more money. If you had a hundred thousand uh, followers on on your Instagram account, you, you could you could you could make you know a couple thousand dollars a month. You could live off of that. And that's yeah, there's, there's nobody's on Instagram that are just yeah. taking pictures of their butthole and they've got like a million followers, you know, some yeah. of these chicks, but an 100%. MMA fighter, not even close to that. hundred percent. And then, yeah, like you'll have guys, big guys, like who fought 10 fights, 10 wins in the UFC and they, they have under 40,000, under 50,000 followers on a lot of the stuff. And that's, that's insane to me hmm. that they're leaving money on the table. And I think it's on purpose. I don't, I don't think they're, the, the companies want them to have access to this revenue because if they're if they can make enough money to live off of their social media, 
like they can't push them around and force them into fights they don't want. They can't make them sign bad contracts. Like it's literally, it gives them an opportunity to have fu money. Yeah, this sounds uh, this sounds awfully familiar. You know, this is not the first place that um, you know uh, the man has done this to kind of like run the show and 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 keep its um, oh, it's it's gravy it's, train under its control. When you look at back at like what other sports went through, and what you see the uh, the nineteen fifties like studio studios were doing. Yeah. Yeah, just this is all just a replay. This has all happened before. It's not mm-hmm. not a new thing. There's it's frustrating, a... frustrating once you see it, and then other people get. It's, it's literally uh, we joke around. We say it's uh, we see dead bodies. It's like the sixth sense. We see dead bodies. Yeah, Every, see dead we're, trying to, we're trying to explain this to people, and they're looking at us like, "Excuse me, like I like I like the fights though. I thought the fights were real." Yeah, and <laughs> and for it. all of this, I mean, you're like you're really putting your own health in extreme risk. I mean, like you're. Like you're really putting your life and your livelihood at risk, and they're and they're running the show that way. Uh, well, I hope that changes, you know, for the fighters um, soon. Like, is it getting better for them? Uh, well, we got class certification last year in our class action lawsuit against UFC, mm-hmm. and it's an antitrust case. And they will be. Uh, we're supposed to get a a, 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 a write up or something here this year, April. Six, I think, is a big day, but then they'll file uh, their appeal, and then once the appeal gets thrown out, then we'll be ready for trial. Got it. Okay, so this is in the court's hands. There's a super chat here from Adriano. Uh, he says, "John, why is ca- catch wrestling not as popular as BJJ? What's catch wrestling? I've never heard of that." Uh, catch is catch can. It's just uncle. <laughs> uncle, basically. Tap out, uncle. Okay. Yeah, it's just make make say make him say uncle. Make him make him tap. It, it's old Celtic and old school uh, catch wrestling. Like, um, there's a lot of different styles of it. They used to. I learned about it, Indiana history. There, the guys used to grow the thumbnails out, and if you could pop the other guy's eye out, you won. That was one. Really? <laughs> and then the other was like, they do the fish hooking, where they fish hook in your mouth. Yeah. And they can they can pull and rip your mouth, or you can quit that point that's one too but it's just yeah it's kind of what it is basically just say uncle um and there's still a lot of implementation of catch wrestling techniques i think i i use some probably not even understanding that i use some but like yeah if you can grab something twisted and make it hurt like Mm. (laughs) it works (laughs) uh super here from uh once is frisco native here from the mission district i don't know what the mission district is Is that an area around you (sighs) no it's a uh, it's 40, 45 minutes away, Mission District. It's, uh, I think, rough. Rough area. <laughs> I don't think anything in San Francisco is kind of rough. Uh, John, brother, how do you look so young? Oh, You're 43, man. right? I'm at 43, yep. Yeah, you do look pretty good for 43. I mean, I, I mean, you could probably pull off 30s for sure. Yeah. I. Uh, what do the ladies think when they meet you? Like, what do they think your age is? Yeah, I get a lot of 36. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I don't correct them. No, of course not. Why would you? Good for you, bro. Um, I say almost a hundred and they laugh. What, <laughs> what would you um, like? What is it that you'd like guys to know about this, this kind of competitive fighting MMA, UFC, whatever is it that, you know, that you want to call it that they've got like a myth or like an illusion around it. That it's a league that the UFC is a league. That's the biggest myth illusion. You, you cannot have a league with one owner. 
Mm. One entity. It's like calling it's the Dallas Cowboys. Are the Dallas Cowboys a league? No, they play in a league with other teams. So every 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 um, team, every team owner that's a, that's a promoter in the league. Mm. Okay, so that's a common uh, misconception, but that that's purposeful. They they've conned you into thinking it's a league. That's why it's okay for them to do the things they do and control the title and control. Oh well, it's a league. That's why they control the title. No, they're they're a promoter. Like they're not supposed to control the title. Mm -hmm. um, you had a you had an incident that was public on uh, PEDs where you got uh, dope tested and didn't pass. Um, I watched an interview with that and you were talking about how you really didn't know what the hell you were doing at the time and just <laughs> didn't dose it right. Or you just kind of like, you know, took a stab at it for yourself. The interesting thing though, is that I've noticed with testosterone is it doesn't make that much of a difference, you know, as you get older, like when I was 25, I could, I could easily bench press three plates. Like now it's like two plates, you know, if I'm lucky and I'm on TRT, right? So it's not like it makes a huge difference, but like how far over the limit did you test? Like, was it just marginal? Like when it ended up happening? So I like, I, I wasn't successful with it because my strategy was what I heard other people were doing, but I didn't have all the pieces is you would replace your normal testosterone levels with synthetic testosterone. So mm -hmm. you do a hundred to 150 milliliters per week. Um, which is about half of what a normal doctor's prescription is for it. But the idea is that your levels are going to be the same, but the synthetic testosterone is better than the natural uh, testosterone. And I don't know if I believe that. Yeah. It, I, I mean, I was stronger when I was in my 20s natural than what I am today. Yeah. So I, I don't know if that's true or not. That was the, That's just the line of thinking. That's the theory, though. Yeah, that was the theory behind it. So if you keep it that, the um, – the commissions when you're tested, they test. Was it, was it just straight T, like cypionate yeah. or ethionate, or was it like D ball? Because D ball can make you strong. Too, no, it was right? just straight testosterone. Okay. Um, and it was, uh, yeah. So, um, oh, what's the same? Oh, yeah. So the, the the ratio. So you can test three to one or four to one mm -hmm. at the time in certain commissions for your testosterone to estrogen ratios, right? Which is your normal human is one to one usually, anyway. So it gives you a pretty good range to be on that synthetic. And as long as you are within that range, you pass and um, you're fine. But I didn't know what I was doing. So you're supposed to come off of the injections like three weeks prior, and then you're supposed to use a topical, I guess. Well, I didn't have a topical and I didn't know, and I used injections until like a week out. So I, I my ratios came back nine to one. So after they did that, I was flagged and then they tested for synthetics. Mm -hmm. So they paid the extra money to see if it was synthetic and it was. So I got like devils, dummy little double whammied. But that was me trying to play catch up because there was a time period where TRT was legal. You could legally get uh, therapeutic uh, exemptions from mm -hmm. doctors um, and fight still in the UFC and other uh, promotions like the, the commissions allowed it. So uh, when I was released by the UFC, it was kind of after that heartbreak I talked about. I, I was like, why am I, why am I making less money than these guys? And they're cheating. Like, what am I, what am I really gaining by, by not doing what everybody else is doing? So I, I mm -hmm. rationalized myself back into it, but like I had the one fight. I didn't feel any better. I could eat whatever I wanted to and look awesome. Mm -hmm. That was 
nice, but like my cardio wasn't better. Nothing was better. And then the injection sites hurt so bad. I couldn't, I couldn't grapple at all. <laughs> I, I couldn't sit on my ass. Like I would. Were like, you using a harpoon to shoot it in? Like a big. I, I think I was using too big of a needle. I don't okay. know what I was doing. Really. Crazy. Um, yes. So is that common, you know, with fighters? Like, do they use PEDs, but just at levels where it's like looks natural? At the time, I think that was, uh, I think that was something that they were doing a lot of, because I'd heard it from a couple different places. There was that fighter war machine. Mm -hmm. He made a video that went viral, uh, where he's talking about literally how how you get a doctor to prescribe you tests in the first place, and then mm -hmm. how you use it and things like that. And that's. Uh, I think a lot of guys were, were using that approach for a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's not ideal. Like you, like you mentioned in one of the conversations, like it's not an ideal substance for, uh, you know, for a sport where you have to make weight. Right. Cause I mean, you're going to oh, put on water. Actually. Yeah. I don't, I, I couldn't understand that unless you're like putting on size to move up weight classes. It didn't make a lot of sense to me to, to use something that's muscle building. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not all muscle building when I mean, you do put yeah. on, put on some water weight too, for sure. No yeah. Doubt. I think some of the, some of the ideology came from what was going on with uh, Lance Armstrong. Yeah. Stuff was coming out and there was like, there's uh, also the baseball stuff with uh, yeah. Mark, whatever his name was, that redheaded guy that was knocking like every ball out of the park. So there was like, there's different strategies and things people were talking about for use. So what about uh, today? Like, are you still on TRT? No. So I haven't used since then. And I recently did that Let's Get Check thing online. And yeah. I, I did a video on it like, on my channel, Official John Fitch. But I'm at 567 now. Mm. So I feel good. I look good. Uh, my hair is still here. I don't want to, I don't want to fuck with my hair. So I'm no, you would have started to lose your hair by now if you had like the uh, predisposition to hair loss from androgens. Mm. So I mean, I, like even your natural body's teeth production will make it fall out. I'm just I don't yeah, I don't want to risk. I could, yeah. I could I could probably get shredded if I was on it, but uh, you probably wouldn't get as shredded as what you are right now. Like you're pretty ripped. I've seen some of the pictures you've posted on Instagram, and you're pretty lean. Because I mean, as soon as you go on tea, like what ends up happening is you put on water weight. You know, mm -hmm. like immediately, like like probably in about eight to ten weeks, I probably put on about ten pounds of weight, and it wasn't all muscle for sure. Like I went from 198 to 208, like quickly. I've been, uh, yeah, I've been eating. I've been trying to put on weight. I'm trying to get bigger. Yeah. I'm like at 220 right now. I don't want to get like fat though. So I'm trying to lift and get bigger. Well, it's big for six foot tall if you're 220, man. Yeah, it's a pretty, it's a good size. I just, uh, I want to be a solid 220 and lose a little bit more of the, I got, I, I pack it on the side. I got like the, the camel humps on the side. Love, love handles. Yeah, that's what that's why I put on the weight first. Well, I mean, you got the core, right? You got to have the tight core to take all those hits. Yeah. You're built that way now. Uh, <laughs> we got uh super here from Beastly Nerd says, What promotions do you see that could rival or even surpass the UFC one day so the fighters could possibly have more leveraging power with contracts? Uh, as long as the, the there's no legal backstop for what promoters do. If the UFC loses power and becomes second fiddle, the next the person who, who beats them is is going to be just as bad or worse. Mm. It's not going to get better. You have to have a fundamental change in the way the sport is done, and that's where the Ali Act would step in and would prevent uh, you know 
promoters from controlling the, the, the titles, who prevent them from controlling the, um, uh, the rankings. Yeah, when uh, in, in, in boxing, you know, when you win a title, you become a free agent. And that's, that's when the boxer is most most valuable. That's when the fighter is most valuable. That's when he should be allowed to see where he can make the most money. Mm. Gotcha. Um, you guys can keep throwing questions in there about fighting. I'm, I'm Again, I'm not an expert and I don't watch much of the stuff. So if you have something that's relevant to uh, the cast, drop it in there. But I wanted to ask you about some other stuff because – when I typed in John Fitch, um, when I was putting the tags in the video, you know how Google or YouTube, you know, starts to recommend like other search items or other video topics. It's like, you know, it goes John Fitch, you know, MMA, John Fitch, UFC, then it goes Red Pill. So like, how did you get into this Red Pill space? The divorce. So yeah, 2000 and 2017, life's like, you know, uh, uh, I'm just not happy. <laughs> I love you, but I'm not in love with you, yeah. sort of thing. Hundred percent. What is love? Yeah. Bullshit. And um, yeah, I just went down that road, and I'm very I'm an athlete. And I'm analytical, so I look at things. I look at successes and failures, and I break them down. And I try to figure out what's going on. And um, I was already kind of on the path of, you know being a, a creator and taking my, my knowledge of fighting and, and technique and fitness and stuff towards, you know, YouTube and doing more stuff online that way, uh, which got me interacting more with other creators and following more other creators. And that it got me on a path of um, being more positive because I felt, I felt like my Twitter timeline was very negative and political. Mm -hmm. I started following more positive people like Ed Lattimore. <laughs> He was, he was somebody who uh, had yeah, positive, super positive, man. Yeah, super positive things to say. And, uh, you know, it, it's kind of like, you know, the, the the five people you surround yourself with. It's kind of mm -hmm. like where you're going like the, the things that you're consuming also. Yeah. You know, if you're consuming a lot of nonsense and, and ugliness, like then you're, you're just going to have that with you all the time, everywhere you're going. So a lot of people complain though, that the red pill is, um, is very negative and misogynistic and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like it's cause they're still, they're still married to their blue pill ideas. They still mm. want, they still want the fairy tale to be real. Yeah. I think, I think the vast majority of the population still buys a fairy tale. It's hard. Like they, they, they you did at one point, right? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Like I have a, I've kept journals for a long time and I, I released one book as book one. It's supposed to be the first in a, in a series, but like where I, I release uh, those journal entries and I write reflections on them. Mm. Well, now I'm getting into stuff. Like I had to take a break because it's like too personal. And uh, there's a lot of stuff, you know, I'm looking back at and now I have that red pill lens and, and uh, some of the stuff you kind of understood as a kid or growing up, like, behavior patterns you recognize them but you're constantly like oh no it's supposed to be this way it's supposed to be this way and you think you're bad because you're noticing how things are mm -hmm. and you know reading reading through those old journals like there's specs of it i could see there was a red pill underlying there but you you try to force yourself into this this good good boy societal box i guess do you end up journaling daily, like morning and night, or is it a weekly? Uh, I did. For you, or? I did for a long time. I was a, I was a, a part of my fighting session. Okay. Like recording and just documenting everything, and um, 
like yeah what i ate how how much i weighed like what my workout was that day everything eh? and, yeah it was, it's like a bit obsessive but um <clears throat> yeah so i think going through the uh the divorce thing got me looking for knowledge so i'm following different people looking for different uh outlooks more positive outlooks people who are looking to grow and and and, and learn and make more money and then I stumble across, I think, uh, the game as so, a um, Neil Strauss. Neil Strauss, and I yeah, was like, good book. And I'm a, uh, I'm a, I'm a technician, right? As far as a fighter, okay. I wasn't mm. the fastest, strongest guy out there, but I could outthink you, and I could use technique to lure you into my traps. So the idea of this pickup and the stuff they were doing, it was all just technique to me. Mm. It made sense. Technique makes sense. So. Look down that path even more, uh, more red pill stuff, rational mail, and uh, more and more stuff online, Jordan Peterson books. Mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, I think I got to a place where I was like, this is a problem that not enough people are aware of what reality is and how much of this kind of blue pill mindset steals mm -hmm. from you. And a lot of it is really, a theft of power, I think, from a lot of men. Are are most fighters pretty plugged into the blue pill? Like, are they mostly like no. blue pilled alphas? I think a lot. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. A lot of blue pilled alphas, because you don't even see a lot of them who are like Trump supporters or uh, uh, you know Bolsonaro supporters in Brazil, or you know. But they'll still they'll still stand for for feminist stuff. Got it. Um, oh, here I got to throw these supers up. Um, a buddy of mine from my community is asking about your Patreon link. He's looking to, I guess, contribute. Where's the best way to for somebody um, to find it for you? It's uh, this uh, Smash Society. Uh, here, let me look it up. I'll I'll grab it and drop it in the chat. Uh, Patreon, Fitch, Smash Society. Society is creating live streams, blogs. Is that it? Yeah, that's you. Here, I'll grab the link and I'll drop it in the chat. So if you guys want to... So what do people get from your Patreon? Well, I'm trying to build it right now. I got five people. So I want to talk to you guys and um, I'm doing everything for the... Everybody who's doing the dollar one right now or anybody who's contributing right now is getting everything. So mm -hmm. I'm trying to set up some times where we can do some, some uh, Zoom chats and stuff together and I'd like to get some local local stuff where we can hang out shoot some arrows, drink some beers, smoke some cigars type stuff. Mm. Um, yeah, you post a lot about archery. Is that a new thing for you? Have you um, always done that? Uh, when I was a kid, you know, BB guns and shooting arrows in the back. Mm -hmm. You know, we had like seven acres growing up and we had a bunch of woods. So I was always in the woods playing. I noticed that you use the conventional longbow, not a compound bow. Why do you use that one? It was a gift. Okay. So like uh, a couple years ago, um, <clears throat> my friend had one laying around that he didn't use he has his own compound so i got that and then i got the kids their own little mm -hmm. little compound bow so that we could just spend time together outside there's a nice little like local park thing it's, mm -hmm. a, it's a, a free state park you can shoot arrows there there's a little walkway that has a, a, a um, kind of like a target course you can walk that's pretty cool and you know it's just a good time to go and uh take the kids and be outside and 
you know, it's, it's fun just to kind of meditate and shoot stuff. Weapons training. See, yeah, I want to talk about your, um, about, about that stuff in a, a bit. Um, got a superhero from Zuber and he says books, autobiography, writing for the public interest or like yourself, what I read. I think he's asking what books you would recommend to read. Uh, what should make me think people are interested in what I say? What, I'm not sure what he's trying to say there. Is he trying to say that he wants to write a book and what he, and what should he write it on that people should read? Okay, well, let's handle it this way. What what books do you recommend? Like, what are your top five reads? Oh, five. Um, man. I'll say this while you're thinking about that, that if you want to write a book, it's best to have an audience first. Don't go and, you know, write a book because you'll upload it to Amazon and it'll be crickets. You'll sell like five copies. Yeah. Um, man, top five. So like one of my big books that I read, they got me like on my path out, out West and everything was uh, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. That's a good book. Yeah, and the this the whole the ideas and uh, questions around quality and what is quality and uh, there was a lot to that book. I thought it was it was really great. It spoke to me. You know, he's talking about um, you know paying attention and enjoying the journey and the path, not worried about getting to the top of the mountain right away. That that was. Uh, do you ride bikes or are you a motorcyclist? No, it's something I've always wanted to do, but I kind of put off because I was fighting. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was kind of going to last summer, but then COVID happened. And then, yeah, I just haven't re, re revisited doing that again. Motorcycles are awesome. I, I, I put a chapter in my book. I, I said every guy should own a motorcycle at some point in their life, I think, anyway. Yeah, because that's what I wanted to do with, uh, you know, the weekends I didn't have the kids. I wanted to, like, I could take trips down, awesome. down one and just. Especially in California, because you got yeah. the best weather for it, right? I mean, if you're going to pay the heavy taxes and live amongst some of the heavily left-leaning people on the planet, you might as well enjoy the, you know, yeah, the sunsets and the mountains and the beautiful scenery, right? Yeah, but yeah, so that's it's man, that's one of the things on the list is motorcycle. Um, what's your what's your relationship like with cannabis? I noticed on a lot of the casts that we're on, you know, you've always got something sparked up or a vape or something like that. Like, talk yeah. about that a little bit. Yeah, so. Man, I didn't smoke weed until I was 19 years old. It was bad. Um, you know, I was an athlete, and, you know, it made people dumb. <laughs> but then I got to college, and I met a bunch of people who were super smart, way smarter than me. And I met a bunch of athletes who were better athletes than me and had better cardio than me, and they all smoked a lot of weed. And I just kind of tore that idea down for me. I think there were some heavy mushroom and acid trips in college too that kind of opened my eyes around that stuff. Mm -hmm. And just this, the idea of addiction in general, is just like, you know, it's something having power over you. I don't know. I don't know if that's why I don't have that addictive type of personality. I can just have one of anything and walk away from stuff. Mm -hmm. Those, maybe those trips back in college, but um, yeah, I've never been in that position where I couldn't just have one of something and, and walk away from it. Does it, does it ever have a negative um, like impact on your life as far as any, I haven't let any, I haven't had I haven't let drugs or alcohol or anything ever have a negative impact on me. I think I've I've been able to 
understand when I'm having a good time and and when it's past that time. I yeah. Guess. You're not that I haven't had some bad moments in my twenties, but um, yeah, but no, with the weed thing, like I got really into it cause I was having a lot of neck problems at the beginning of 2010 and I was growing my own cause I just bought a new house around, well, it was 2011, I guess when the neck problems started happening and I moved into the new house and I was growing stuff outside at an indoor grow. So, um, having a medical license and everything. So everything was, you know, legal. And, um, when I was growing my own, like I could consume mass amounts all day long and it didn't get in the way of training or my home life or getting things done. So mm-hmm. um, it was kind of my own little experimentation and like getting shit done. It didn't, it didn't, you know, I, I could be lazy if I wanted to, whether I had, the chemical or not mm-hmm. what about psychedelics you're talking about mushrooms and acid you still you still play around with that a little bit um, i haven't had a trip in forever but i do microdose from time to time mm-hmm. and then what sort uh, of benefits you get out of the microdosing microdosing from uh psilocybin. um man it's like it's like a adderall without without the crack mm-hmm it's it's amazing like um i was talking to my friend about it before it's one of those things that you can't you can't overdo and there's times when you're just like you know i don't want to do this for a few days Mm -hmm. because it's just i I don't know it's like the perfect drug (laughs) what do you usually dose when it comes to psilocybin um it'll be 150 to 250 milligrams so 15 to 25 percent okay got it yeah yeah full dose yeah okay okay but yeah, so it's it's a, I'll mix it with uh, lion's mane mm. and uh, have them together, and it's it's you get a lot done. I get a lot done, but it's yeah. not something where I'm like I have to have it every morning. It's not even like a coffee where like I feel like I where's my coffee? I don't feel right because I don't have my coffee yet. Yeah, but some today, of the most like, I look at it, I'm like I don't I don't want it. No, not today. Yeah, some of the most uh, like productive and um, competent entrepreneurs, athletes. A lot of biohackers use it a lot too. Um, I mean, they did a big investment in a company that's um, leaning very heavily into psilocybin, um, and that's been going really well. So, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, hopefully, it it, it helps a lot of people out. One of the things that uh, that they're starting to notice as they're doing the research on this is that it like it can help somebody that that would basically need like 10 years of therapy mm-hmm. uh, get through it within like six months or something like that. Maybe like you know a handful of treatments. It's, it's like that effective. Yeah. I'm not a doctor. I'm not recommending anybody, but I've had uh, three different friends cure themselves of like drug dependency. Oh, it's great for PTSD too. Using it. Like they've had friends who uh, were having issues with cocaine and friends that were having issues with marijuana. Mm-hmm. And every time they had a craving, they would take one of the pills and then you know, months later, well, psilocybin does reset those uh, receptors, right? Because mm-hmm. um, that's because that's one of the problems that they have. Like, they're using it to treat like certain addictions, like alcoholism. I'm not sure if it's effective, you know, for other compounds as well. But I know they're like like they're having a lot of success with it for stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty cool thing. So, I mean, hopefully, it 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 gets a little more um, acceptance in the community and it helps a lot more guys out. After you do it a couple times. <laughs> like you realize like okay this is why it's illegal it's like they don't want people they don't it's want a plant people. because you can't people can grow this on their own they can yeah. have 
own set up their house and well, like, like that was a whole argument with cannabis you know years ago is yeah. you know they like it's got you know medicinal properties when you extract certain compounds out of it and you get rid of the you know the ones that are more harmful but it, like all the all the pharmaceutical companies couldn't do anything about it because you can't like patent a freaking plant right so oh, they, they want to sell you their drugs they don't want you to use your drugs try they'll bio they'll bio uh engineer it somehow and then they'll they'll figure it out yeah like, um Let's see here. What else did I want to talk to you about? I want to talk to you a little bit more about the red pill stuff in the manosphere. Like, what comes to mind when you when you hear the term manosphere? <sighs> it's such a. I don't even like the term. You know, manosphere. Can we just say it's just? Uh, I don't know. A bunch of dudes who who want better. <laughs> Can we just? This is a guy space where we want to do better. That's that's good enough. I don't know about manosphere. Um, but no, it's, it's heavily needed and it's weird how negatively it's kind of, uh, like anything, any go groups, guys, group guys getting together, huh? Like yeah. you're made fun of like, Oh, guys talking about guy stuff, huh? Sounds gay. Or like, whatever. Like you always, it's so, I don't know what the word is for it. Like look down on, or like you're shamed for being a group of guys in a guy's club or group talking about guy stuff it's uh, it's weird it's really weird was it the was it the actual like like the wife giving you the i love you but i don't love you talk that that started red pill year or was it like going through divorce machine after it like what what was divorce like for you in california because i mean that's a pretty hostile state you know towards fathers right yeah oh she i mean she was i she used lou Okay, we'll just say that. She used lube in the divorce rate. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, at least that was kind of her, right? Yeah, yeah. so I'll, I'll give her that. She used lube. It could have been worse. percent you know, custody of the kids, so I'm not getting hit up for or uh, um, child support. Um, the uh, no alimony, because at the time, like, I was thinking about retiring. So, like, mm -hmm. it was. She was just started working, so it was possible she she could have had to pay me alimony. So she was okay with signing off on saying no alimony. Mm -hmm. So that that went in my favor. Um, she was a stay at home mom, or she was a stay at home body, stay at home wife, but not a mom. She was there, she was at home, but okay. she wasn't like doing the she like that was she wasn't doing the mom stuff. Yeah, like I was double dutying a lot of things. Did you guys have a nanny too, or no? Really? So like you were, you were playing parent plus, you know, the yep. income order. I, I was training for a world title and I would have to stop in the middle of sparring round and change a diaper. Really? And then jump back in and finish the round. And she didn't do that for you. She wasn't like, John, you go chase excellence. I got this. Nope. She was at home checking out Instagram or whatever. And then Shit. I would come home from that and I would need to, I'd have to make my own lunch. So I'd have to, uh, rest and then she would take off and leave and run errands or get her hair done or whatever did, did, did um you not like taking a title have any impact you think on you know the marriage and her wanting to bounce um me getting dropped from the ufc yes uh, okay so it was around the same time as that and i think her attitude changed a lot well me like me she was not a favor not a fan of me pushing back against the ufc she wanted me to shut up and be a good boy and just suck Dana's dick. Just do what he wants. Like mm -hmm. that was, she's like, she took their side. Yeah. That's, that's not good. 
yeah, she took she took their side in the situation, and that was kind of like some of the first like, oh, really? That's your attitude. Like, it was more important for her to like get the money and be in the scene than it was for like her family to like not be robbed. Yeah. So we've got playing to win and we've got playing not to lose and women typically play not to lose. Right. So that was, that was the, that's what she wanted you to do. Don't rock the boat, John. Yes. You know, so then the, yeah. So a lot of that was, you know, then money changed. My job status changed. uh, My social circle changed. Um, a lot because I'm not I'm not going to hang out with people in this you know that are going to that thing and do those things. Um, yeah, so that was that was a big part of it, and you know, part of me too. Like I have to go through my journals and see like when the when that happened. But there was a point where I was like, what am I doing? Like, why am I putting so much effort into this? So I like I stopped doing shit for her and I focused on me and the kids mm-hmm. at, at a certain point and. Uh, yeah, I think it'd be interesting to go back and see when that was. It could have been around the time when I was like, we were hurting for money. We had got a new place, and uh, I was going to sell my truck. I love my truck. Yeah. I wasn't going to get much money for it. And I came home one day, <clears throat> and I, was, I found somebody to buy it, and it was well under what I was hoping to give for it. And I came back and 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 I walked in the house, and she like dropped like five hundred bucks on nails and hair and shit that day. <laughs> And I was like, what the hell am I, why am I giving up my truck? Like, why am I giving up something I love? She's not giving anything up. And like, we're struggling for this money. So like, whatever. I was like, nope. And I start putting premium gas in the truck. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, it sounds like you're better off today than what you were when you were married, man. I, yeah, I am, but yeah, it still stings. Like, especially like I was using a Bitcoin early and me being bullied and harassed by her because it's not a real thing and you're wasting time and you should have a real job and blah, 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 blah. Like I stopped trading and stopped buying Bitcoin. I was hundreds of dollars at that time. Mm-hmm. If I, if I would have focused on me and money and muscles, I would have, I would have been a billionaire right now. Yeah. Well, there you go. Right. I mean, so what's life like now? I mean, like you're doing a lot of dating. I've heard you on the rule zeros, you know, a few times yeah. saying that you're dating a lot of women in their twenties and things are good. And like, is this like the best time of your life now or? It's uh, it's weird because of the lockdowns. Uh, but it's still pretty damn good. Like I'm still figuring, I'm figuring a lot of stuff out, but I'm having fun. Like I can't complain a lot. I've got a little bit of cushion with, with uh, Bitcoin doing really good right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I made a little bit of money last year for my fight and uh, I'm good for a little bit. Like a big focus for me right now is spending quality time with the kids and uh, you know, sorry, again? It's nine and seven. Yeah. Like, I mean, my daughter's going to be teenager pretty soon, man. Yeah. Um, and they're just going to be out all the time. They don't want anything to do with you. You know, by the time they get to that, it's like, you know, you're cool when they're seven. Yeah. Not so much when they're, you know, moving into the teen years. So you might as well enjoy that part. Um, yeah. So I'm just much time with them. So yeah, I got like two, three years before they start doing more stuff with their friends and, you know. Uh, so what does a typical week look like for you now that you're retired? Like, what do you do mostly with your time? Man, it's like a lot, you know, 50% is with the kids. So I'm taking care of them. And doing uh, fun stuff with them, wrestling around with them, teaching them wrestling and how to shoot a bow and arrow. And then mm. 
this weekend we'll go fishing i think we'll go to the beach probably too on like another day but yeah so like just having adventures when we can um but then my time is i do podcasts um i need to make myself write more but i've been putting up you know courses uh on gumroad i need to make some more uh i've been traveling and doing seminars and teaching um and i'm starting uh another company a branding company so i have uh, fighters or fighters and instagram models babes and beast branding babes so. and beast branding i dig it yeah so yeah it's uh, a good way to you know stock up the pipeline for the bay part of it all instead of doing john fitch smash dudes in the ring it's john fitch smash poon right yeah so, <laughs> but yeah and then i figure it's a great way to use a network effect you know with the, the girls and the guys together if i get enough of them and then um i'm gonna do fun stuff and travel and do fun stuff creating content for people but i, I feel like it's money these people have money left on the table like the fighters who don't know how to use a social media. They don't know how to mm. do basic, simple collection and campaigns and stuff. And then the girls who are hot, but don't know how to use technology or how to market it all. It's the same. It's kind of like the idea of, uh, you know, the starving artists, a lot of artists are starving because they don't know how to sell themselves. Yeah. There's a lot of guys out there that have, um, a lot of skills and they don't know how to properly monetize it and commanding an audience is something that is not talked about enough i mean i learned this concept 2011 or 12 when i was uh listening to guys like um alex icon who built like a very impressive uh hair extension business and even um what's the bulletproof coffee guy's name dave asprey he was talking at a conference you know i was sitting at a round table he was talking about his uh, podcast and at the time like he had one of the biggest podcasts um you know on itunes and a lot of these guys are all just like yeah like if if you have an audience then you have a business yeah and um a lot of people don't understand the value in that so yeah that uh beasts and babe things i think you'll do quite well with it if you've um, if you've got it running right it'll be a learning process yeah but it's one of those, yeah, I'm interested in it. And What's the next big uh, thing for you? Like, what are you leaning into? Like, what are you looking forward to the most these days? Um, well, I mean, like, that company, I actually kind of have a lot of hopes for. It's it's something I think is going to be a lot of fun. One of my problems is I get bored easily. So, like, I, I've had problems with growth myself because I haven't really niched myself into any one, like, market. Mm. I haven't gone. I haven't gone full one hundred percent into one in one niche because I'm I'm interested in too many things. Yeah, so you're a generalist. Yeah. Um that's okay. I mean, look well, at look I, at Joe Rogan. Like he's he's one of the biggest generalists out there. Like he'll talk with fighters, comedians, Evo yeah. psych guys. Like he'll talk to all different kinds of people. Yeah, one hundred percent. It's a kind of. I don't just want to be doing podcasting stuff, but like it's the same ideas. I still want to. I want to do what I want. I don't want yeah, to that's the one thing and have to be forced into into something. Yeah, that's the best. You know, that's the best part about this time of life is if you have that flexibility and you know you've got a nest egg set up and you can pretty much do whatever you want. I mean, even if it doesn't pay that much, if you really like what you're doing, you know, with your time and you get something out of it, and mm -hmm. you know, I always tell guys when they ask me the question, well, how do I know I'm doing the right thing? Or like, how do you know what your purpose is and all that? It's like, well, one of the answers to that is you'll lose track of time when you're doing it, right? Like 
five hours will go by and you won't even notice the time because yeah. you know you're so engrossed with the whole thing like you're right down the rabbit hole sort of stuff and i've i've come to learn too now that life is a lot less expensive um when you don't have somebody who's trying to live the the sex in the city lifestyle yeah when you don't have to pay for 500 dollars hair and nails <laughs> yeah and like and eating out four or five times a week yeah i, I don't like, know but that's like, that's like the modern yeah. woman, you know, today they were, yeah, you know, they were sold okay. sex in the city. They were sold like, you know, you don't have to do anything like, you, you know, like there's this big long list of things that they want you to bring to the table, John. You got to be tall. You got to be good looking. You got to be alpha. You got to be funny. You got to be, you know, uh, you got to have combat skills. You got to be a good father. You got to be nurturing. You got to be a shoulder to cry. And it's like, da, 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 da. it's like, well, what do you bring to the table? Well, me, because I'm pretty. That's wild. So like yeah, being able to say no to like oh yeah we're going to brunch whenever blah blah blah. It's like okay cool like uh, hit me up when you're done. <laughs> like, I'm like I don't need I don't need that. I got I got eggs in the fridge. I'm cool. Yeah, you want to come over and make me breakfast? Yeah, you want to come over? I got eggs here. Yeah. Um, do you treat women a lot differently? You know today now that you're dating. You know that you've kind of like awakened and you've unplugged from yes. from a lot of the I got to pay for hair and nails and makeup and. You know, she doesn't I, bring I, I the table. I just don't put up with whatever. I don't put up with the bullshit. Like yeah. you, like this is what I'm looking for. You either meet my standards or we're just friends. And that's, have you have you come across some outrageous stuff? Like where you're like, wow, I just said that. No, um, man. No, I haven't had anything major. Like girls will mention, like, oh, I'm a feminist, and blah blah blah. They talk about their. Uh, their their whatever their time they're donating and mm -hmm. I'm just I, they're trying to get a I don't know if they're trying to get a reaction or like oh my god I can't believe oh wow you're such a whatever I just like I just go on to the next thing or just mm. no reaction I, I'm not uh I don't care about your your SJW <laughs> stuff you're how does, how does uh, being an ex fighter tie into you know dating now for you as a single dad I used to it is easier or kinda. But then, yeah, one of my buddies was like, well, dude, you're stupid. Just put your just put your Instagram thing on there. Like, you're dumb. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> why are you not using your blue check and whatever? And I was like, all right, fine. Because it's, it's, it's part of that blue pill thing, too. It's like, oh, well, the good girls, they're not looking for whatever. The good mm -hmm. girls, like, whatever. There's no good girls. What about those, um, like, weekly shots you do, like the hump day hottie sort of thing? Like, do you mm -hmm. get a lot of heat from women on that? No, um, I have like ten percent of my followers on Instagram are female, mm -hmm. so uh, I get like zero pushback from those. Uh, I have, I did get a girl. I think I saw the tweet, but uh, not tweet, but um, I did have a girl match me and uh, was giving me shit about. <laughs> she had matched me on Tinder and then was giving me shit about my home day hotties or whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to be funny, but um, yeah, that was a, that was a soft next. Yeah, I guess she didn't um, she didn't meet the expectations. Meet the expectations. I don't want to look through my phone right now and find it for you, but maybe I'll find it another time. But I, I kept a bunch of stuff that crazy girls have sent me, and um, yeah, the big thing uh, that I've noticed is the girls are having a hard time with is not when I don't put up with flakiness. 
the home iron gains like punish him for mm -hmm. flakies is 100% correct. And um, some of them have a real hard time with that. Yeah, they want to be held accountable, that's for sure. Yeah. Like, what do you, oh, are you serious? And it's like, yeah, I'll playfully say, you know, I'm, I, you know, I don't really like flaky people. If you want to, if you want to reschedule, you're going to have to, you're going to have to buy the drink. You have to buy drinks. Whatever. I like steak. Uh, yeah. Or, or you're going to have to pay for dinner. I like steak. Yeah. There's a post that you had showed us. Yeah. And I'll give you, even give him the wink. Yeah. Just. Wow. Really? Oh my God, John. Good luck. Good, good luck. luck. <laughs> good luck. What right. do you mean good luck? Like I have three other girls to call. Yeah, don't worry, sweetheart. We're good. <laughs> luck is very good over here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> My big, yeah, the big thing I have is um, because I have such limited time to go on dates. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, I don't have time for the flakes. Like that really is like an investment for me to like work up to get to the girl to go out on Wednesday or Thursday night, and then she flakes. It's like. I got I got a week and a half before the next round of nights I might be able to date again. Yeah. So like, am I gonna really risk another one with you? So whatever. Miss this question. Um, how has how has everything with the red pill changed your perspective with parenting? Like, do you teach your boys things that your dad never taught you, or you know, do they hear a lot of sound bites? You know, now as they're getting older. Uh, there's stuff on the background. I'm sure all the time. But I, I just watch movies with them. I watch shows with them, and I'll oh, yeah. stop it. I'll stop the movie and be like, guys, this is a really great uh, movie. This is a really fun story, but this is a story. Mm -hmm. like, this is not physically possible. These are these things are not capable. This would never really happen. Okay, and then we'll start the movie again. But like, because there is, there's a lot of, especially nowadays, there's a lot of girl power it's all the girls doing everything and all the guys are are usually bumbling idiots <laughs> yeah it, you know it's like oh my god thank god for all the girls because the guys are such losers and they're so stupid and well it just makes it easier to stand out in the crowd of all that i mean there's a lot of i mean mm -hmm. i really feel for like men today and boys today because there's a lot of crap that they've that, you know there's a lot of stuff that they've been fed that doesn't work and there's yeah. a lot of stuff that, you know, that we'll talk about that they'll be like vehemently opposed to, right? Like they'll want to fight. It. It's like, I find it's, 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 it's funny sometimes when some guys will like, you know, they'll send you a message on uh, like an Instagram Q and a, you know, I did one the other day when I was doing a workout and then I go on the, the sauna and I answer, you know, the questions it's like, and then you answer the question, like some guy will ask you a question about like no fap, right? It's like, okay, here we go. <laughs> I like what's your opinion on no fap? Let's, Let's start with that because I know this is a popular topic for a lot of guys. I mean, like, is it really? Is it if it's that big of a thing in your life that you have to be asking people about it? Yeah, maybe you should probably take a break. Yeah, like my approach is like I don't know any guys with an abundant access to women that even talk about it. It's not even a thought that crosses it's their mind. Not, I mean, it doesn't come up. It's not part of no, right dialogue. No, I don't think about it. It's like. And then I say those things, and they're like, oh, you don't understand it. They get in a big argument with you, and they start it's sending not, you, like, DMs not, and stuff. I'm not going to – yeah, and it's not like I was like, oh, you're like, – I don't care, man. If that's what you want to do, do it. Like, I don't care. I just don't care. It doesn't – it shouldn't be that all-encompassing of a thing. It shouldn't be – Obsession. Like, yeah. It shouldn't be a daily thing. You shouldn't be obsessed with it. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. Well, I mean, there's the old saying that, 
you know, when somebody says that you're obsessed with something, it's like, um, you know, it's like a way to define somebody that's, you know, determined or, you know, focused on it. It's like, I guess, I guess that's a way to kind of define the obsession with no fap. Like, I don't know what it is, man. It's just bizarre to me. Just, yeah. I mean, there should be other things that you should be focusing on. You shouldn't have to just be thinking about that one thing. And maybe it's a, a part of like porn addiction too, though. Maybe that's really what it goes. Uh, yeah. It's, you know, like porn addiction is a legitimate problem too. Um, so you know, I get yeah. that component, but I mean, if you want to stop fapping, just have, have girls. I mean, it's, yeah, have, have it's a girl present. before you there. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. I find a girl. It feels way better. <laughs> Would you ever get married again? Uh, I mean, I don't, why get the government involved in a relationship? Right. For, for one, I'm, I'm more older. I get more realized I, I'm more anarchist. <laughs> yeah. like, leave me alone. Stay anarchist or libertarian? Uh, well, libertarians are just anarchists with money. Okay. <laughs> Can't argue with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, I, I mean, it's, it, it's extreme, but really, yeah, I, I guess libertarian because, yeah, just the government should protect the borders, interstate commerce, enforce the laws, and leave me the f alone. Yeah. Just take it's care of the fire department, and that's yeah. it. Just you know, don't bother yeah. me. Um, what about your sons? Would you would you encourage them to get married? I want them to be as uh, educated. Like, I mean, do you want to be a grandfather? I want to be a grandfather. Right. Okay. So I may mean, I mean just, you know, I may set things up to where I just have them impregnate a bunch of girls and I'll, I'll raise the kids <laughs> on my farm in the woods. I was sold. Well, I mean, you, you talked at one point about, <laughs> about wanting to have some more children and to like run a harem. Like, is that still a strategy for you? Um, I thought a lot more about it, but and it would it would be really difficult because you'd have to find you still have to find the women like who are capable of, of that. So unless there's you know I can make enough money to have surrogates, <laughs> or I do find you know quality women, which it, it's it's possible. It's not impossible. But, no, it's uh, certainly possible. I mean, men have done it throughout history. I mean, yeah, there's a really good book. I mean, if you haven't read it, Alpha God by Hector Garcia. It's in my queue. It's great. Like, yeah, just even listen to it. If you can get the audible, that's what I did. But I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty common throughout history and there's yeah. guys today that, that, that still try to do it. I mean, like Sterling's got a buddy down in Australia that we were talking about, um, you know, briefly that basically set up his own harem mm -hmm. and it kind of fell apart on him. Did you ever see that link that he posted? I did. I read, I read through that a little bit. Yeah. Like it, like it seems like a good idea, but then in today's world, especially, you know, with like the me too and the feminists, there's like always crap. There's always angles and uh, yeah, yeah, the risk just seems too high. Yeah, there's there's a lot of risk, but so like yeah, I don't, I don't. Yeah, it I, the idea of it sounds cool. I like kids, you know, but like I would never have kids I couldn't afford. I don't want to. I don't want to do that type of life, and mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't want to have uh, be subjected to some crazy mother who's just unstable. That would yeah, which you don't. I mean, you don't have a crystal yeah. ball that can mean five, 10, 15 years in the future to tell you what it's going to look like. I mean, because one of the things I always tell guys is women always reserve the right to change their mind at any given time. And I'm sure the I'm sure the girl that that guy in Australia, you know, brought into his harem at one point, he thought she was solid and, uh, you know, she was part of the family and, uh, you know, she'd be there for as long as, um, you know, he was happy to have her there sort of thing. But it all fell apart for him and it caused a tremendous amount of issues well we so, see that man like 
implanted memories are a thing. Like, please yeah. to people, you can you can take a person and convince them that their childhood was awful, even right? Though, you know, even though it wasn't. Um, well, that's one of the most important things I always tell guys to vet for is make sure you stay away from anybody with feminist ideologue. It's like because the inherent underlying notion is you have to be a victim. In order to qualify as a feminist, there has to be a patriarchy which oppresses you. And if you have an oppressor, then you're a victim. So by default, you have to operate you know, with a victim mindset, which is a loser's mindset. So why would you invite a woman into your life that's got a loser's mindset, right? Yeah, 100%. So that's the biggest thing that I'd say vet for. But I mean, you know, if you can pull it off, man, I hope you pull it off. I mean, you know, let me know how it we'll unfolds. Maybe we'll we'll... I mean, just to being able to find one consistent girl is hard enough. Are you finding it like that difficult just to have, you know, like a set of plates kind of spinning, you know, in your rotation? Or is it like they kind of come and go? I, I feel that a lot of them want a lot more of my attention than I'm willing to give, especially quickly. So I think that a lot of them. Uh, what do they bring to the table? I mean, like, are there any of them that that want all this attention and want like that level of commitment or ownership of you in your time that that brings something special to the table that you're willing to say, okay, fine. Like, yeah, like, like no, it's not really. I'm not looking for whatever, you know. I yeah, I'm not looking for that. <laughs> like, I've had girls who are like, you know, they want to book the next date as soon as we finish the date. They're like, mm -hmm. they're. You can feel they're ready to jump into a relationship. Mm. I don't have them. What, like on date two? They're like, so John, where do we stand? Yeah, well, not that. They're just like, <laughs> like man, like if you're not out of my door and you're planning the next date, that's to me, that's push. That's pushy. It's pushy. <laughs> like, yeah. I'll, I'll, let me give me a couple of days, see if I even want to go out with you again. And they're like, they're, they're pushing for the next day. Oh, so what's your next Saturday like? Or when's Wednesday? Or I'll be over at this time. And I was just like, it's like, relax. I don't know. Um, yeah, it's 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 weird, you know. So like, I'll have some girls who are really cool and the sex is really good, but they're far away. Mm. You know, I was dating, I dated a girl for a few months who was in San Diego, and she would we would have rendezvous rendezvous and meet up places. <clears throat> um, but yeah, it was just that was I think cool. I think that part of the underlying reason why they're cool is because the distance exists. That I think that helps too. That helps yeah. too. Like honestly, like you know, the girl I've seen. Uh, the one I've seen a little bit here. She's she's in LA. She comes up to see me, uh, but I like I don't have a lot of time. Like I don't see her more or less than I would somebody who lived down the street. Mm. You know, because like I'm not having these people come around my kids. Like I don't know you well enough to do yeah. that. Like, if you, if I date you for like nine months a year, maybe I'll let you meet my kids. So at so at the nine month mark, you know, when you feel you know there's something worth you know, having a conversation over, that's when you look at it, huh? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, if they... A lot of people move super fast on that. Yeah, well, it depends on, it depends on, I don't bring it up. No. They bring it up, you know, and they start, and they start pushing or whatever. Yeah, so, I think that's the right way to do it is let them bring up that talk. Yeah. When they bring it up, uh, then, we'll, then we'll talk about it. But, you know, the talk I, I haven't had brought up for a while was the, you know, you know, I don't want to, I don't want you to date other people talk mm. type thing. So um, when it does happen again, and I'll be the same I had last time. It's like, okay, yeah, it's cool that you can be my girlfriend, but I'm going to date other people also. Mm. And we'll see how that goes. Well, you know, by the way, quick pro tip, because I've talked to a few guys about this, you know, she brings up that, um, 
you know, hey, John, it's been 10 months and, you know, I'd really like to meet your kids. Maybe we can hang and go to Chuck E. Cheese or something like that. Still, still give it another nine months of watching her behavior to make sure that it's not like a dog and pony show and stuff. And it's just an act. Um, I mean, see if she really digs her vibe, you know, see if she likes being around them. And, you know, uh, she's never going to be the mom, obviously, but mm -hmm. just make sure that, um, you know, she's got a genuine interest in it. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got a super here from Andrew. He's asking about the term sig Sigma male. How would you gentlemen define this? What do you think of the term Sigma male? I don't even know most of these terms. That you know, here, I'm going to Google it because um, I get I get tired of people making up all this new shit and you have to fucking Just do what you it. want to do. A Sigma do male is a man with a with the socio-sexual hierarchy who chooses to live his life outside of the normal social dominance hierarchy structures of society. That sounds like an alpha male to me. <clears throat> Yeah, it's just, it's, that's what he wants to do. Yeah, so I mean, you can label it with, with whatever you want, yeah. Yeah, he does what he wants, and women still want to bone him. Sigma personality. They are self-sufficient, seemingly strong, and capable of taking care of themselves. Being independent is key. Sigma males are independent without even trying. They have a close friend or two, but these friendships often likely offer companionship and not a necessity. Sounds a lot like my life, but whatever. I mean, you know, call it just call it whatever you want, man. Male lone wolf. It seems like uh, it, it seems like a definition, but it is what it is. So just roll with it. Um, don't don't hold on to labels too tightly. Like one of the things that I see guys do is they is they identify with a label. Like I'm a sigma male or I'm a MGTOW or I'm a, it's like just that's, that's that's man. You're not fully developed. That's a part of that's a part of your like development into manhood. Yeah, it's like when you're a little child. You see the Power Ranger. I, oh, the Red Power Ranger. I'm the Red Power Ranger. I'm the Blue Power Ranger. Like you, you, mm. you are that person. And then you get a little bit older. You're a teenager, and you start to be like, oh, well, I, I want to do the flying axe kick like the Blue Power Ranger, but mm. I like that spinning kick of the Yellow Power Ranger. I want to do both those things. You start pe peeling off different parts of that identity to create your own. And then by the time you're an adult, you should be like, this is me. This is what I do. This is how I am. But like most people, never get to that final stage they're, they're still trying to be the fucking yellow power ranger yeah don't attach yourself to labels and definitions because as a man you're going to evolve over time or you should be evolving you know um you know adapting and doing more things that you enjoy and less things that you don't enjoy and if you want to call that an alpha or a sigma or whatever the hell you want to call it an alpha sigma doesn't matter <laughs> just do you man just do yeah, you bro free man or a slave free man Free man all the way. Spend your day doing things for other people because you have to do these things. I feel like most people that I know that have had like mental breakdowns or have anger issues are all people who live lives for other people. Like they're yeah. all like they're doing this for yeah, they're attached to labels for their mother. They're doing this for whatever. Oh, I have to. These people yeah. need this. It's like, what do you want, bro? Where's your life? Exactly. Raymond's got a good point here, right? People create labels so they have something to gab about, you know, get attention on. That's a good point. Um, we're coming up on the 90-minute mark. Let's um, let's wind it down, man. It was a fun talk. Let people know uh, what it is you're working on or where they want you to find you on what it is that you're working on. Um, uh, yeah, johnfish.net John is uh, the place where everything is. You can find... Um, I need to work on my writing more, but uh, the uh, podcast, John Fish Knows Nothing, it's Sundays at 7 p.m. on the left coast. Um, 
talk about everything on that show. I have guests on all that time also. Um, yeah, I got two books on Amazon, Failing Upward, Death by Ego, and The Way Cut Bible. You can check those out too. Cool. Let me get this one last super before we wrap up. He says, when you're a child, you seek approval. When you're mature, you're sought for approval. This is very true. And Travis says, John is like a fine wine. I'd have to agree with that. All right. Thanks for watching, guys. Smash the like button. Comment below. If there's somebody that you want to see on the uh, Playing to Win series, uh, drop a name there. Uh, if it's somebody that I like or have a genuine interest in talking to, maybe I'll reach out to them. Um, there's a few There's a few other guys that I got lined up over the next couple of months that I really want to have a conversation with. I, I like having these talks. So, John, thanks for joining me. Um, check out his stuff. You guys know where to find him. He's, uh, you know, he's a regular uh, contributor on the Rule Zero panel. So, I think uh, Ryan's up this Saturday, if I'm not mistaken, but keep an eye open. You know, he'll be around. So, thanks, guys. See you. Peace.